do take out some some good bits some spicy bits and and publish those yep on short for content i'll put it on my youtube channel and then maybe i'll send over some nico too but we'll try to get some some traffic over there because i love your guys channel big fan that's it we we suck at distribution it seems like um and everything else but we have good content Peyton tells us so uh i really it's amazing it. yeah thanks it's amazing absolutely uh, and yeah so i was like actually i wanted to kind of get your guys take uh, on a few spicy predictions that you guys also mentioned uh, past in, in the things and like Nico going way back, you guys actually talked about like land um, and it wasn't actually before like Devin and, and Philip were here and I want to get their take on it um, because like I'm a pretty big bear on like land and, and scarcity in, in terms of like the metaverse type of thing. Um, and so I just wanted to kind of throw it out there as a topic because um, I think it's, it's going to be a very fun one. It's a little spicy. I'm done. I have spicy takes. <laughs> oh, you want you want to go first on this one, Nico? Yes, I can because I'm gonna. I'll put you in the bullying seat. Oh shit! <laughs> um, I'm going to I'm going to preemptively um, kind of disagree with your guys' take. So Still. I don't think there. I don't believe there's something fundamentally wrong with land in the metaverse or or Web three, um, and you know. So that's my 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 spicy clickbait take. <laughs> I'm gonna now give some context. So I think the way it's done now is probably is, is pretty bad. The reason I think it's generally uh, it can be useful is because it allows you to align incentives in a good way, right? Um, I think any like blockchain ecosystem or many blockchain ecosystems will need um, developer activity. Will need builders to actually create things, and I think. If done well, land can help with incentivizing builders to build things and rewarding them for any traffic or value creation that they bring to a virtual world. Um, and I also think that with smart design, some of the problems that land has can be overcome. And for that, I refer to a discussion we had with Kiefer um, at Economics Design about, what was it? Um, demand or offer-based um, land value tax. And so that's a smart way to making sure that people don't own land and do nothing with it, right? Um, in, in this case, you would have to pay a land tax or land value tax um, constantly, and that would force people that own lands to actually do something productive with it. So TLDR, I think land is is probably generally used in a pretty bad way, but I don't think it's Always, it, it needs to be the case. I think it can be used well if done smartly. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'd echo a lot of that. And I do think that Kiefer's points there are really important because if, if I just look at it as scarcity versus infinite lands, as we've seen it so far, um, I think 
finite land is very much a 2021, 2022, early 2022 mm -hmm. concept around um, what happens with speculation when you have finite resources and the price going up kind of benefits everyone, including the, including the platform creator who's probably taking royalties on every one of those subsequent sales. And so larger numbers is, is good for everyone and gets everyone's attention. Um, at the end of the day, the, the trade-off on, on infinite creators or infinite creation capabilities is really in, in the, the mass content kind of reduces quality on average sometimes. And so you're really looking for that, that top 0.1% of content. And eventually, if you're, if you're using you know, the right distribution channels and discoverability is, is optimized, then that, that, that quality content floats to the top. Um, and so I think, I think I align with Nico there where finite makes sense if you have incentives aligned for the creation of, of that high quality content. But I think all too much in the, in the past, we've, we've seen these, these finite platforms where no one's really incentivized to do anything. So they sit idle and no one really builds anything. And you're just kind of betting on, on somebody hopefully wanting to pay more to, to own that, that scarce plot of land. So I just think we've seen it done incorrectly in the past, but at its core, with enough, uh, with enough complexity added, I think you can, you can make it make sense. It's just, it just hasn't really been done well yet. I want to take the full nuclear option and disagree with everyone on a fundamental basis and say the topic is not even about land. It should be about geography because that's the actual topic. Like no one, like land being finite or not finite, that stuff is like important. But at the end of the day, like the thing that actually is the, sets the context for all of it, whether it matters or doesn't matter, is geography. So if you're talking about like infinite land, like if all of the land is infinite and equal and doesn't matter, then that's just a discoverability problem, right? It's just like proximity-based stuff. Mm -hmm. If geography does matter, then like land scarcity might matter even more because if there's like precious resources, things like that. Uh, if it's finite, but none of it actually matters in terms of uh, differences, then it's quantity-based problem, right? And whether or not there could be multiple worlds. So at the end, it's it's about geography and whether or not it matters and like whether or not it's centralized control or distributed control, meaning like, is there only one possible server or is there multiple servers? And so I think a lot of these things like are important to throw into the mix before we start right. like going like, should we sell land? It's like, well, there's a lot of contextual things that determine whether or not that even matters. Uh, whether or not you should be selling it. Everyone just went for that. We can sell it, so we will, right. obviously, first, right? Because, you know, there's money to be had. But I think at the end of the day, like, we needed to actually discuss, like, should we actually make it matter geogra geographically, right? Because in the real world, that is why land matters. It's not necessarily that Earth is a limited sphere because there's actually a ton of empty land left that people don't live on because mm -hmm. of geography. Because it sucks to live there for some reason, uh, either because of the natural resource lack, weather, whatever, or just lack of proximity to other resources, right? We, we build around rivers, we build around oceans, we build around gold mines, we build around physical things. And it doesn't have to be that way in virtual world, but there still needs to be like a reason to build somewhere. And so we need to determine that. Like if we have, for example, multiple servers, but there's like one central welcome server, right? Like one welcome hub. Land does matter there because proximity to a starting place for every new player absolutely matters, right? It's an onboarding area. It matters where people start. It matters what's close to that. That's high price. That's Times Square, right? Like that, that matters a lot. It's a tourist attraction. And so like value there is much higher. Whereas like if people are, can live out in the boonies on that same world, then like that's fine. Like then 
you don't have to sell land for a premium. It could be dirt cheap and infinite and not matter. So it's like, we really need to set the context and decide. Personally, I'm a bigger fan of allowing like multiple worlds. And so that people can have some sense of scarcity and value, but also still have the ability to just go off and do their own thing and set up their own servers. And the idea that you like, you know, charge for server space or hosting, if, if that's a thing. And that's what most games do. Like that's a pretty typical mm. thing, whether it be Minecraft or whatever. Like the difference is when you get other hosted ones, like say Roblox or something where they're doing the hosting and there's no fragmentation. It's just all a centralized server, but they also don't have geography. Then they have like, you know, you browse through it like an app store. And so it's, I don't know, we need to figure out the geography problem first and what we desire, because I think there's a difference too, between like virtual world, uh, social places and game like hubs. Like those are going to have very different types of geography, very different types of scarcity, how people play. Like right now we've kind of tried to pick this weird middle ground and you end up with the central and a sandbox. I really don't know what direction to be. You don't know if it's like a tourist attraction, like sandbox or, or a ghost town with tons of potential like Decentraland. Right. The, the, the one question I have there is, does, does geography there really solve the problem, though, where theoretically it can almost just exacerbate the issue around speculation? It solve it. Because, just to be clear, I'm saying it's context. Yeah. Like, without that context, you can have the land discussion. I was going to say, because, I mean, think, think of something like a Roblox, for example, where each piece of digital land is, is almost equal, right, in, in mm-hmm. value, and then eventually the top quality content floats to the top. Um, through discoverability and through people wanting to play the best content. And eventually the highest quality content gets the most prime positioning on the platform and the the lower quality content sinks straight to the bottom. Um, and then I think that's a case where the, the geography of a platform like that, that we already have in existence um, is kind of, is kind of determined by, by content quality um, in a, in a, in a platform that you would never even think of as land, right? I don't think people think of their their Roblox cube. And you can end up with that problem in like virtual worlds too, even that have like portals, right? Like, so they say something like core that has like the portals to the different areas, right? Like those portals are now a premium because they're in the Times Square lobby area. And like every, all all those things, everything's finite at some point, right? Like everything has a finite limitation to it. So like some decisions have to be made on how you allocate finite resources. Mm. And so that's why I'm a fan of having the the possibility for you to run your own server. So you can go, yeah, it's going to be finite, but I can, I can make my own exception to that. And I can build up my own community. Like imagine if there was just like one discord server and everyone was fighting over channels, like right. it's better if people could just create their own discord server and like create their own channels, do their own world and like call it a day. But then discord could still promote discoverability. It's still trying to get people to go to different places. Like there's still ways to do it, but I, I do want to point also to like the discussion Nico had with Raf Koster, where he brought up one topic that was like I thought was interesting was was the divide between like whether geography matters in terms of like proximity, like where you physically travel to places versus teleporting and the problems with teleporting instance locations mm-hmm. versus the travel. And they both have like their own problems. Like mm-hmm. they're both like separate but equally not great. And we haven't really found a great middle ground where like there is potentially infinite space. But some sort of linkage matters. And I would point to the internet as an interesting thing that went in that direction, right? We had hyperlinking as a way to create infinite portals everywhere, right? But then we all end up in these starting places, like these, whether it be a walled garden like Facebook or, you know, TikTok, wherever, Reddit, or it be a um, place like Google, or like the way Yahoo used to be a curated set of portals. Uh, so we have to, have to have these ways of navigating. Remember when there was web rings? as a sort of pseudo-geography. And so we haven't even really figured it out on the internet, and that's why search dominates either that or centralized lobby locations. And maybe we we even need that, like multiple Times Squares, multiple lobbies, multiple 
curated areas that people can go to. There's, there's so many possible solutions. And that's why I just say geography is a framing element here. Yeah. Like for me, like the reason why, like, I guess land, I'm not a big fan of like scarcity based land. It's like, because it limits the canvas for people to make derivative products. So when it comes to like Minecraft or Roblox or any of like these things that have like an infinite scale, like the reasons why they floated also to the top was because like they built upon each other. So if you limit like the canvas in which that everybody can build upon, like you said, like discord channels, or like, let's say that like, there's a, a certain amount of like plots, just like 10,000 plots, right? Like, that also gives you a limit on like derivative products to like improve the product. Um, and there's like so many games that we currently are enjoying now that were derivative products of like mods. And so like, that's like something that like I'm a big advocate for. So whenever like that kind of like floats up from the top, how many like crappy products did we have to get to like actually get those products? And like, if there's people like that are just speculating and just like sitting on land and then not doing anything that for me is like just, that's just going to kill your product and like you'll never like reach mass adoption nobody's going to want to play your games um like decentraland like if there was like an infinite scale like for me to be able to like go in and try to disrupt people that are currently just sitting on plots of land like i would probably cast to do it because the incentive is for me like on a playing even playing field to like disrupt somebody to also like take market share from them in terms of like player base um and so like that's for me like the biggest reason why i don't like land in a scarcity type of element i actually do like it when it comes to instance and like people actually try to do it or like give everybody an opportunity to like even like merge things together so like if Mika, me and nico you know like we have like a specific land plot we both build it and then like let's merge it together kind of like a you know type of like a sandbox type of thing where like you kind of have like share that uh, specific like plot like increase value but then also give opportunities to like put them into like locations and like combine them together um that's where I think there's like a lot of, I guess, possibility uh, in that. But I would love to any feedback on like that specific thought process. Yeah, I, I, I point to a specific uh, older example of, of what happens when you make it almost too open uh, and don't charge for land and stuff like that, which is Active Worlds, which was kind of like prior to Second Life and stuff back in the 90s. And the, the way the world building worked was you could build on any unbuilt piece of land. Like if, if there was like it was divided into a grid and if you built on a grid spot, I mean, if there was nothing on a particular grid spot, you could build there. And so, like, in theory, you could build an, a, a hole in the middle of someone else's land. And so, like, it was it was a way for you to establish fences and build around, like, your property and stuff like that. And so it was open to whoever. Like, you could just build. And the, the upside of that, of course, is, like what you said, like, people can get really creative. They could do all kinds of stuff. They could copy and paste what they see and do something different with it elsewhere. And space, like, in location did matter because, like, there was it was still a uh i don't know i assume it was finite right it wasn't gonna be infinite mm. but it was pretty expansive and it wasn't like they weren't selling land and you end up with a problem too where uh, to nico's point about incentivization alignment of incentivization is you end up with a situation like people will just create trash like you end up with like like the, the early internet where it's just like tons of under construction pages and you, you don't want that problem either you don't want tons of unfinished things you don't want tons of trash laying around because it's like because someone got to their first and just kind of built nothing on it. And in a way, like that can sort of rectify itself over time, where if that land does become valuable in some way, then it is incentivized for someone to push that person to take advantage of that land. Like if someone right. has a valuable domain and they didn't buy it, squat on it, but sooner or later, if someone's like, hey, I'm going to give you like $2 million for that that domain, then, then that person might go, well, actually, maybe I do care about this. Even if it right. wasn't sold as land, you know, meaning it was just infinite, whoever it could build, it could still become financialized 
because someone decides that land's valuable. But then the way they ended up going, and I've said this before, is like you end up fragmenting, right? Where they ended up started like as their business model starting to charge then for other servers, for people to set up their own worlds and stuff like that, because like, you know, this world ends up being trashy or you want to curate your own space, whatever. So people then are incentivized to then rent their own servers, build their own worlds. And I don't know, it gets a bit messy. And I'm not saying like, actually, Active Worlds wasn't that bad. Like, but you could also do like you said, and, and kind of mess with other people's land, you could go build around other people's land, kind of like fence them out of their own property, or you get weird things where like verticality didn't matter. So people would build stuff in the sky. So the land would look empty, but it was like claimed because they built something up there in the sky to kind of reserve the space. So I, I don't think there's like been a good perfect solution yet. And we've had like a lot of in between ones. And I think I, I would recommend anyone go back and look at the history of them to actually see the different ones even going back to muds and how you claim space in muds and mushes and like there's there's a long multi multi like you know 40 to 30 year or 40 to 50 year history of virtual worlds in space and land and mm. ugc and stuff that has had different failure points different incentives and i think rather than just trying to make up something from whole cloth like let's see what worked and didn't in the past because I think there was a lot of partial things that worked, um, but but I, I do agree that like encouraging people to get creative is important. So like finding some middle ground between financialization and creativity would be a good idea without having it to always be incentivized or aligned to a wallet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Uh, Nico, Philip, you have any more um, uh, talks before we move on to the next topic? I think uh, Devin summarized it well at the end where, you know, finding a balance between incentives and freedom of creation and allowing anyone, as you, as you mentioned, Peyton, to create mods and, and do their own thing, um, I think is probably the most, uh, the, the most sustainable approach to virtual land. And, you know, I think for me, we need to be more creative and realize that because we're, building things in a digital realm, there's more flexibility and you can do more right. interesting things, right? This whole, you know, land value tax is something you can build into the smart contracts that generate or that, that are part of the, the land NFTs. And so you can, you can like start being creative with that. And I, I want to see more experimentation. Yeah. I wonder also like if the, um, sorry, Philip, like, I wonder if also like just something that Nico said, like, I wonder if also like the innovation doesn't even come from like the game itself, but like the distribution, right? So like, like you mentioned, like Roblox having like this front page and like, those are the people that always get like the clicks. Um, but there's like kind of like this TikTok and like Twitter's also kind of doing this now too, right? Like uh, Twitter's kind of like uh, banking on like uh, TikToks. I've been studying Twitter um, and the For You section um, and how like, if it says like Nico, like you could have like a, a post that's like two days old, but then like it has like new reply by Devin and I follow Devin. Now it's like discoverability of like you somewhere else, right? So like using the network effects of like Web3 um, to have like this type of new distribution layer that we haven't had in like, you know, let's say like Roblox or any of like these walled gardens before. And I wonder if like the innovation through Web3 comes from the distribution layer, not so much the actual game itself. Uh, but Philip would love to, for you to continue on your comments. Yeah, the, the only other thing I was going to say is I think one of the problems we've seen with the first iteration of land, and there, there will naturally be a lot more innovation in this space, has been the fact that you can kind of skew discoverability based on your wallet versus the quality of your content. And I think that eventually there's some there's some cool things you can do around the quality of your content 
dictating the quality of your space within the, the realm of discoverability. Um, and then that's like almost a derivative financialization of it where you get rewarded for having a higher quality plot of land based on the success of and the, the quality of content that you've put into the ecosystem versus upfront, just being able to kind of buy your way to the front row of, of people's eyes. So I'm, I'm sure we'll see a million different iterations of this and somebody's going to figure it out, but um, yeah, I haven't, haven't seen it quite yet. I want to add one quick comment to that then, which is that um, if we want to enable discoverability to be evolutionary and, and immersive and or, uh, emergent and all that stuff, we need to open up APIs and other things. And I think Web3 obviously is well positioned to be something like that, mm-hmm. assuming people don't lock stuff off, right? Like things need to be on chain or open up. Because I think back on all these things where discoverability was like getting innovated on when APIs were like hot. And then right. everyone started closing off their stuff. Like Facebook, you can't have like high discoverability on there because it's such a walled garden. Twitter even like constrained a lot of their APIs. Netflix was a prime example to me where discoverability could have been awesome, but because they locked out all their APIs, now it's just down to really them pushing what they want you to see because right. like there isn't alternative discovery methods. So I think if we want innovation to happen in discoverability, which is a necessity and, and some of the stuff you're pointing out is a perfect example. We need to make sure it's open enough that that third parties can create alternative discoverability me- methods so that, you know, hey, even if the main distributor just steals that idea and brings it over, you know, it's still better than not having any evolution there. Right. And actually, that's like going on to like a topic that I wanted to talk about was um, in one of your guys' recent episodes, I think it was IP and monetization with Henry, um, you talked about one of the biggest perks of like Web3 and blockchain games is like giving you like live ops data. Um, and I kind of want to like, like double click into that more from like a expanding, not, more like democratized like live ops for like any devs, third parties and VCs all getting like blockchain data and like actual you know, use use cases. And this is like also, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, is like indie devs, this is like the first time that they're getting like this much like live ops on like a, a grander scale. Do you think this, if like the network effects continue to happen where like games are being released um, and like it doesn't fall off because there is also a possibility where there are like these blockchain games that become a big hit. They're like, oh, one of the biggest things and use cases that we have is like, let's pull up a wall garden over like our data. Um, but like, let's say that it does continue on or like these indie developers keep on building on the blockchain. Is there a big enough data set? Like it starts competing now on a grander scale that disrupts traditional Web2 games. Yeah, I'm a little biased in that. I obviously, I, I am helping build out a uh, an analytics platform specifically for taking advantage of the openness of data combined with some of the closed data, right? Where like, mm-hmm. um, you know, some people want to keep some of the data to themselves. Some people are willing to open it for different reasons and like trying to find ways to bridge the two because I think it's going to be hard to make the business case to most people that you should open up your data. Like at the end of the day, people see competitive advantage in that and whether they're right or wrong, like they're still going to do it, like even if it's dumb, right? And and that, that goes back to the example I was just giving about the API stuff. I think Netflix is kind of shooting themselves in the foot, right? Because now people can't actually encourage discoverability that may actually better match what people want to see and encourage subscription in Netflix, for example. And it, it's, it's one of those things where like people like think a little one-dimensionally there. And so it becomes a little difficult. Whereas like, so, so for example, the analytics product that I'm doing, I would love to make it like open to everyone, right? Where it's like, cool, we could take all this data and everyone could read it and like, it's all awesome. But at the end of the day, like I know if I want access to data that is 
you know, with, on the other side of a walled garden or is off chain or whatever, it needs to be for private eyes, right? So like, so I'm building something that's for game developers themselves to see their own data, but also take advantage of what is on the chain. But it becomes a little troublesome over time because like, there's only, even, even games that put stuff on chain are not going to put everything on chain for the most part, unless they're fully on chain games, right? So it's like, so then you have to start to like guess what, what the missing pieces look like. You have to start to try and infer stuff. Like, let's say, you know, trading is on chain, but the gameplay is not. Well, it's like, you you know very little about the gameplay then. All you can see is the inputs and outputs via the trading, and you have to kind of guess a lot, and then you have to hope they open up APIs. And it's it's problematic, because I would, I would love to be on the side of everyone should just open up their data. And, and I wish that was a realistic thing. And maybe we need to make a business case where that's actually a good idea so that people are financialized, or as, as Nico put earlier, you know, financially uh, aligned incentive-wise, to, to do that sort of thing where it makes sense for everyone to want to do that. And if someone can come up with a way to incentivize people to do that and start selling that idea, then maybe we can have that. It's maybe that's utopian, but like if we could just bribe people the right way, I guess, yeah. maybe we could get that. Well, I think for me, it's like mostly from like indie devs, right? Like who like is the most benefit in terms of all of that is like kind of sharing data is like the only get like one data set on a small, like individual, like indie dev game. But if like you kind of democratize, like, Hey, kind of like an indie type of like, I guess like we're all going to kind of just go for this because like it, it benefits the whole indie community as a whole is like, let's share like our data. Um, and so that was kind of like my thought process is like all of these indie devs being able to do that. But then does that also give an advantage to you know, these, these bigger, um, entities that like kind of look in on their data. Cause they're not dumb. They're going to be looking at this, um, and then just also make them even better. Um, so well, then it's maybe just the indie devs sharing with each other at that point, you know, you get that, yeah. that sort of problem. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it raises the, the base layer of the, the data that's available to, to all devs, which is, which is a great thing for the indie dev community. But I think even within the first year of, of the web three gaming hype, um, Nico, I'd be curious to hear your, your position on this too, but we've seen so many startups that are building analytics tool tools or services, and their competitive differentiator is always access to private off-chain data from the most popular games. So everyone's trying to, to partner directly with these, these indie Web3 studios um, and aggregate as much data because with that heightened base layer of data availability, I think each incremental game or each incremental piece of information you can get your hands on kind of becomes more valuable to a lot of these analytics suites um, that are trying to productize some form of, of differentiated um, insight in a, in a market that should theoretically be entirely open to anyone. So it's almost just packaging what's already out there. Um, so I have, have seen that a lot. And I mean, it, it's interesting and something we talk about often is many things in the Web3 world over the last two years has kind of come full circle to a very quote unquote, web two mentality. And even simple web three features like interoperability is often done by a indie dev studio building multiple games where your assets are, are transferable across their titles, but not necessarily elsewhere. So they kind of warehouse their own data. They keep their assets inside of their own walled garden. Um, but it's it's kind of web three because your assets move around and there's a there's a token attached to it. So I think the, the data the data conversation kind of fits into that mold too, where you know things do come full circle and have come full circle pretty quickly, and everyone's still kind of looking to scrape their competitive advantage in, in whatever way they can, even with the the publicly available data that's that's unique to Web three. Yeah, I I haven't really figured out how this plays out. I think there's a big difference between data and insights or analytics. Mm -hmm. 
right? There's a lot of data on chain. It doesn't really mean that you can get actionable insights from that. So, yeah, I guess, Payton, so if, if, I, if I understand your question correctly, you're saying, does the fact that more and more data is publicly available change the dynamics between smaller devs and, and the AAA studios and, and publishers right now? Yeah, right. it's correct. Like in terms of like, does it really improve like the smaller devs? Um, and like, is that, is let's say that like more people like sign on to that specific like mentality of like sharing data uh, set, does that, is that like give them an edge to like compete on a, on a bigger level with these bigger devs? Yeah. Um, I, I don't see how you could have in a small ecosystem of indie devs that between themselves share data and insights um, because I don't see how you can like have like stop access from like for the big players to act to to get in there and get those insights as well add that to the existing insights they have and then you know just have more data and more insights and and to be able to to grow better so I don't I like I don't yet know how that plays out um, there's a world where insights get commoditized where you know everyone can um get the same insights from all the data that's on chain so there's a world where that happens uh but just like you know i, I can i can see that happen through ai but there's also a world where you know you will see players uh emerge like a lot of the, the startups that we've seen um that are trying to provide the the insights and then they'll they'll charge something and the moment you start charging things the more valuable your insights are the more you can charge the more the big players have an advantage um still haven't figured out how that plays out um over the long term yeah I mean, and i mean i'll be curious too to see how how the, the packaging of insights does does play out as well because I think to to the to the point Nico made just having this massive aggregation of data on chain doesn't necessarily mean you know what what to do with it and it seems like v1 of insights has really been focused on whale targeting if you can know how much crypto is in a wallet if you can see the transactions that have been done if somebody's transferring five eth to a certain nft project or a game like you can probably have a pretty good sense that that's a that's the player you want in your ecosystem but I think we're still kind of at the the base layer of what can Web three data actually provide to us in terms of of insights, and so um, it, it still feels pretty primitive in that regard. And everyone's trying to sort it out while simultaneously trying to build up their moat through getting getting yeah. some of that off chain data. I mean, I can speak for for obviously what we you know the way we look at it at Nami, for example, is <laughs> is a. At the end of the day, what kind of data is on chain, right? Which is primarily economic data, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's it's based off this financial blockchain layer, right? And so if it's economic data, then okay, well, then what can we do with economic data? Like whale hunting's obvious target, right? Only because, not necessarily because that's the best thing, but because that's the most obvious thing to other people that has value, right? Where you go like, what can I do with all these things? Well, if people are looking to make money, you can go, I can help you find the right marks, right? Uh, but But the thing is like economic activity, is just people activity, right? Like it's it's just a different specific uh, lens on the activity of people. So like the way we look at it is we're looking at people and trying to different, find different lenses of how we look at people and their activities on the chain. Obviously, there's not always, for example, a one-to-one -one correlation between a wallet and a person and vice versa. And like, there's those kinds of issues. But at the end of the day, like what you're doing is looking at people's actions or lack of actions or whatever, and, and being able to try and derive insights from what you know about people, what you know about games, what you know about economics. And at the end of the day, it's, it's all just like competitive assumption making, like who's got the best assumptions that make the most sense or provide the most value. Uh, but I think there is at least room right now 
for some differentiation to come from different angles, stuff like that. And like Nico said, maybe at the end of the day, like everyone ends up with the same insights, but that might almost just be driven for the same reason as the whale thing, which is that like the, it just, which is the most economically viable insights? Like which of these provides the biggest payout for the least amount of work or is the most obvious low hanging fruit? And I think that's going to be a little problematic, right? Because everyone kind of goes for that. They go like, well, this is all the data that's on chain. Here's the easiest thing to get consistently on chain and the easiest thing to package up and sell to someone else. And so I think like uh, I, at that end, things are going to get super commoditized, right? Like, so that's why we're trying to go like, well, let's just understand players better. Let's understand different types of players. Let's look towards things like user acquisition that isn't just whale targeted. Sure, you could whale target. We're not going to be like against that. Like, great, look at people that have money. If you're looking for money, obviously you should look for people that have some in their wallets. Uh, that's kind of an obvious thing. But we want to look at different types of players as well. And different types of games want different types of players. And I think the ability to like look at or look for those types of players is something that's useful without being just this greed financed, uh, uh, like motivated financial thing, right? Where you can look at, we just want players that align with us. We want to look at like competitive things, like the way people use something like data.ai, right? When they're doing different types of competitor analysis, sometimes it's looking at like for financial decisions. Sometimes it's looking at like, hey, does this genre of game even get enough players? You know, those kinds of different types of insights. And I think there's some room for that, but like, we're saying probably people are going to go towards a lot of walled garden and it's going to make it kind of hard to do this. And, you know, Nami and others are are looking to partner with people because that's the only way to make sure you get private insights, which kind of sucks. Like I would, I would love if everyone just went to let's open up APIs, let's open up the chain. Cause, cause at the end of the day, you still end up with something like data to AI that finds some way to do it. Right. Find some way to scrape it. Or I even think towards like steam charts, right. Where steam was like, let's close off a lot of data. And so people just found different ways to like, Oh, we'll look at achievements because there is that information or they'll find ways to derive that or Nielsen style rating and do like statistics or like there's always a way around it. So it's like, why not open it up? Because the upside of opening it up is you provide correct data and that can actually be sometimes good. So like I've talked to some games that like something like DAP Radar is like so way off on the number of players they have. And it's like actually bad for them because it looks like no one plays their game. But they're like, dude, if you saw how many people are playing our game, like you'd be like, why am I not playing that game? And it's like, well, then you'd have value in sharing that data Obviously, when it's good data, right? It's like the way people share earnings and, and other things often when it's like positive data, not when it's negative. But uh, I think I think there's room to find some way to financialize, uh, like incentivize it so it makes sense, like the way that, like the, the discussion that was brought up about interoperability, right? Where Phil was saying like people going away from like outside interoperability. And like there is like solutions towards that, right? Where you say, oh, if I make money off of every transaction of my item, then my item transactioning over to another game still benefits me financially, right? So that was what excited people about Web3 was this idea, can we open up some new financial models that like align me making money with me also doing something that's good for everyone else? And like, if we could find a way to do that with data, like, then, you know, maybe we can find a way to do that so that like me giving out my data to everyone else benefits me and benefits them. And it's like, well, then it's win-win instead of like lose-lose or win-lose, whatever. It doesn't have to be zero-sum, but I honestly, I, I wish I had a solution for you there, but I don't know. Yeah, I think a lot of us don't know. We're all just kind of stumbling along until, until we figure it out. Um, and I, I really am interested in the uh, player and brand identity of like an individual person and then helping that with distribution um, just for the fact that like, um, you know, as like these platforms become more private as well, like, you know, Apple and everything like that, the way that they're kind of doing it um, in terms of like these NFTs and what people actually do to transact, it's 
it's one of those interpretation of data, like you guys said, you know, there's these different types of pockets of like, I, I think of like NFTs as kind of like country clubs, right? Like there's these different kinds of country clubs that actually like have a specific like kind of culture within them. Um, and then like all of those interpretations of all these different country clubs, if there's overlapping, that kind of makes one like kind of a sub one that kind of fits your specific player and your brand identity. And then also you go into like playing like blockchain games or anything like that. Like if you own a like loot or like, you know, you got to go uh, M loot and all that kind of stuff kind of shows that like, Hey, this is a person that's a little bit more tech savvy. Right. And let's kind of go into and like, see if there's like a wallet to wallet uh, type of communication or anything like that. And I know that's going to get spammy over time, but over like time, um, this helps with like the distribution layer of like, maybe getting around some of like these private stuff. And so like this huge marketing spend that you have to do to kind of like go wide can go super direct and give actually valuable, valuable like assets to the player uh, to attain them. Um, I know Nico, a long time ago, you mentioned even like vampire attacks and all that kind of stuff, but even like targeted stuff, right? I was even thinking about a distribution layer, like kind of like what blur.io did where like it kind of just like reads through your specific um, transaction history if you've like participated. Uh, but like you could even go even more, nuance and more like niche you know have you played like pirate nation for example have you like made a transaction on like polygons like oh this person actually has played a game bridged over things like understands it um and then like let's reward them you know in a whole maybe another entity and stuff or even a community um but any, any comments before we get to the spicy predictions thing as well there's no reason why you can't opt into a program that says i'm going to provide stuff about me and you're you're going to find games that want me and they're going to give me a reward to check out their game and therefore, like, it's aligned, right? Like, it's a situation where right. user acquisition can be player aligned. Obviously, you still have dumb, bad actors. They're like, oh, I'm going to bribe you over to my game that's like a bait and switch kind of thing. Obviously, like, still see that kind of thing in, in mobile games and stuff all the time. But I think there is a way to at least align. I'm, I'm not against giving out my data. I want to give out accurate data because I want someone to know enough about me to give me the things that I'm interested in. Like, I don't want to I don't want to see commercials for crap I don't care about. Show me commercials for things I do like. Like, why not? And so I think there's a way to align that so that like, you know, it reminds me of like those, uh, like the, those box programs where you'd buy, like, you get like a ship to box of some kind of, you know, type of thing monthly, like comic books or whatever. And half of those were really kind of like a little, like, uh, on the business side of advertising where they were like kind of giving out stuff that was trying to promote themselves or like stuff that was like, uh, leftover stuff that they had. Like there was, you know, a little bit of sometimes misalignment. But at the end of the day, it was like an opt-in thing. You were opting in to receive these things that were like aligned with your interests. And, you know, they were hit and miss. Like sometimes they were things you like, sometimes they weren't. Uh, but we could go that direction, you know? Why not? This board bugs, right? Yeah. You know about yeah. that? Yeah. Yep, I know board. Yeah. Um, good. I, I have a bit of a half-baked spicy take on the whole discussion we just had. I don't know if, if Peyton, that, that we can we can start to do it. Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. Do the spicy prediction. Start okay, so there. this is this is half baked, right? Um, okay, okay. Let me put you in the bully seat real quick. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, yeah. So while Devin was going on his five minute usual five minute rant or, or uh, talk, um, so what I was thinking is, if you look at the current states, especially let's say like um, one and a half years ago of the mobile games industry, there because data was so ubiquitous. Everything was so optimized that there was almost a mobile game playbook where developers knew exactly what types of games to make, what kinds of ads to play, and you know to optimize the lowest customer acquisition cost and then the maximize the amount of money they can squeeze out of um, out of their players. 
just so that their you know customer LTVs, the lifetime value, was just higher than the customer acquisition cost, which made that they actually made a bit of money. And because of that, and because of the fact that the data providers had so much insights and more insights than the game developers, they managed to bring up the customer acquisition costs just up to the level of the, the lifetime value of the players, which meant that the developers made little amounts of money and just just received enough money just to make make back their costs or just have to pay up to their you know the, the amount of money that they made per player um and because you know that was the 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 situation and that was how you know mobile games evolved and that was a playbook um there's actually quite um a low amount of creativity um because there was this playbook there was this these types of games work well like merch 3 works well and monetizes as well social casino works well and monetizes as well and so it it ended up that most new companies would make these types of games because if you didn't you were actually running a big big risk and so my half baked hot take is that the more data there is actually there might be a risk that there's less creativity because there's with more insights the the risk is reduced and you can actually you know what players want and so in a world where more and more data gets on chain we know more and more about players you can actually almost project exactly like who, what you want to make who you want to target and how much money you're going to make um like with infinite data you could you could theoretically do that obviously we're not there but on a risk reward perspective as an entrepreneur as a games builder what are you going to do? Are you going to follow the playbook and know that you're going to make a profit, although it's going to be hard fought and not a lot? Or are you going to try some, try and do something completely new, ignore the data, and run a, a quite big risk? And so the half-baked hot take here is that this amount of extra data might actually negatively impact the amount of creativity in the space. That's super interesting. I do think mobile gaming really did become more of a science than an art for a little while. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's there's positives there from a business model standpoint, but there's negatives from a game quality um, standpoint. And I think, I think, you know, maybe mobile gaming has been held back a little bit by that over the last five years or so. So I, I think it's a good point. That's awesome. Um, we have like five more minutes left. Um, and I want to kind of just do a speed round of like spicy predictions in 2023. Um, and uh, Nico already kind of did a half-baked one. Nico, you can go twice if you want to. Uh, but we'll start with Philip and then we'll go around. Um, uh, sorry to put you on the spot there, Philip. No, it's fine. I won't, I won't put you in the bully seat. We'll all be no, good. <laughs> you, you, can, you can put me in the bully seat. I think, I think that um, if, I had to give, if I had to take a one hot take, I don't even know if this is a hot take anymore, but I do think 2023 will be kind of like a year of silent death for V1 of, of Web3 gaming. And we're not going to hear about most of it, right? I think what's what's interesting about what's interesting about Web3 gaming is how much attention many of these games got so early on in their development cycle. And I'm starting to already see more and more studios that were out raising big rounds and had started building their game shut down fast uh, and move on to their next project. And I think that's not necessarily something that we think a lot about in traditional gaming because you can kind of fail fast and fail silently in a different way when when you're just kind of a, a small dev team building up and spinning up a game studio. But in Web3 in particular, um, I think towards the end of this year, we'll probably start to see some of the shorter token unlocks running out for VCs. I think we'll see a lot of the VCs that are really active in Web3 gaming just kind of fighting for liquidity and trying to, to sell off and 
I just think we'll see a lot of a lot of teams get kind of crushed in the backgrounds and people just fade out. Um, and it won't be a big like PR thing because the game did never exist. And so it's like this weird balance of attention that these studios have had with out of product. And so I don't know, I think I think especially towards later this year, we're gonna start to see uh, a long list of casualties that we that we never even thought of um, kind of manifesting. And I think that's happening sooner than we thought. And I think that if we look out like three years and web three gaming is successful, um, this will kind of be a graveyard era of 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 games, even though content is always like that in gaming. Um, I think right. this will be especially especially strong, and we'll see a, a pretty substantial number of incomplete projects versus failed failed releases. Mm. That's a, I like that one. That's yeah, that's that spicy. Like, I like it. Like the Kickstarter graveyard kind of thing. Yeah, in a way. Uh, Devin, you're on the hot seat. Buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my mine is that uh, that. No one's gonna give a shit about custodial or non-custodial wallets anymore. Like for the most part. That most people are just gonna be like, I'm over it. Like I'm I'm tired of managing my own stuff. And it's gonna be a battle over like who's gonna become like the provider for like wallets, the way social logins battle over like Apple versus Facebook versus Google. Like who's gonna be my custodial wallet provider? Because like as soon as someone like starts to get good market share there, then it's gonna heat up. Like everyone's gonna be fighting over that. Everyone's gonna be like, I wanna be the bank basically of that i want to i want to control people's funds and like find some way to benefit off that i don't know i don't think overdraft charges are necessarily going to be a thing for that but like there's going to be some financial model that they're going to find for that uh whether they even just be selling people's you know financial data like in terms of what they're spending their money on and stuff but i think like the the idea that like wallet stuff is something that people have to deal with is is just going to go because at the end of the day if people just don't care enough and that helps get everyone over the hump and just into playing games then like people are just gonna just gonna jettison it, and I think, uh, while like you know for the purest side of things that sucks, but at the end of the day, like people can't even manage their passwords. Like asking them to manage private keys and seed phrases and stuff where there's money attached is even worse. Like you're just asking for everyone to like manage like super complex bank password with no customer service for your bank whatsoever if your stuff gets stolen. And it's like, that's just, it's just not going to work for most people. So I think as much as I would love for us to stay like super, like everyone's smart and comes in and learns and like on onboards, I think the idea of onboarding itself is already like a false assumption that people are going to get over like this, this phase and like just, Oh, it'll be a smoother adoption. And it'll be like, no, they just want to do it. Yeah. And actually kind of ties into my spicy take and then Nico can take us away. Uh, is like, I think there's actually in like a social war, um, I think there is going to be a big like separation for like once these games start coming out and, and debatable on like when they actually do. Um, but whenever they do, there's going to be like a, a pretty big um, civil war between like the Web3 gamer and like NFT enthusiasts and like the purists. And so like, there's just going to be like this, um, like NFTs, like even when I've been talking to some of my friends that are kind of coming in from like NFTs and kind of saying like, oh, the meta might be Web3 gaming. Um, like they're kind of coming in to like, what is all this signing up with my email, right? Like in all of that will like start kind of coming to a head and like start having these kind of conversations. Um, and yeah, I think they're, that separation is going to be a little bit more vast in 2023 and going into 2024. So that's kind of like, my spice predictions. There's maybe some friends um, that are not going to be friends after 2023. Nico, you're on the hot seat. All right. So I'm going to do a hot disagreement first. So Devin said, you're going to be thinking, who's going to be my custodial wallet provider? I saw your eye roll. 
Yeah. <laughs> and I'm and and I think that people are going to be asking the question, who's going to be my non-custodial wallet provider? Because I think with smart use of smart contract wallets and like you know having multi what is it multi-key wallets, I think um, you can simulate the um, you know the the user experience of a you know you just need your password um, or even other solutions that might pop up with decentralization and with you know n- not giving one company access to everything that you have. So I think that's that's I my hope so. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I, I think that would be my spicy counter prediction. If you want another like spicy take, I think that's you're back the, on. Go for the, it. The 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 depression around Web three gaming is going to get way worse than it is today because a lot of teams that have raised seed funding and are building, to be honest, a pretty shitty game, um, are going to be in trouble. Right? They managed to raise money through NFT sales and on the hype, um, like eighteen months ago, and now they're coming up on their runway. And um, I'm sure that like Phil, just as me, like sees a lot of these pitches and does a lot of um, very polite no saying. Um, but so these these companies are going to collapse. They they're not going to have runway and like because we de- haven't seen that many like Web three games, especially not the bigger ones, actually um, get in trouble or admit that they're in trouble. Uh, but at some point, like the the music is going to stop for them, and that's when people are realizing that the NFTs that they bought for you know a few thousand dollars are going to be worthless, and that's when everyone's going to say like, "Yo, I'm absolutely done with this shit," um, and we haven't seen that yet. So I I, I fear that the worst is. Worst is yet to come. Probably this year, sadly. Just yeah. just because of the right. economic climate. Like maybe late this year, but probably this year. That's why I think the incompletes are going to be really, really staggering this year, just in terms of games that choose to stop building over the course of 2023. Not even not even running out of funds or whatnot. It's just, you know, dire situation. People pivot out. Just yeah. disappear off Twitter and everything else. They just yeah. vanish. Just gone. Yeah. <laughs> Their account is lost. The silent rugs. <laughs> silent rugs well uh nico philip devin thank you for letting me crash your guys party um i can't wait to distribute this content on the spicy takes uh on mine and then uh send it over your way nico uh, but thanks for letting me uh come crash uh, fogged out huge fan of the show um and i know i won't let your editor say it i will let myself say it please like and subscribe and comment down below um because <laughs> these guys are awesome you know, yeah, you got you got to chill out, Nico. Put some liquidity in that like button. You know what I'm saying? Ooh, nice. I like Nico's that. Nico's gonna use that every week. Yeah, uh, into perpetuity. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you very much for hosting this, Peyton. Um, yeah, um, I'm pretty no sure uh, it's it's refreshing to have someone ask the questions and and put people on the stands. Really good. Thank you. Yeah, the bully, the bully spot. So, yeah. um, well, we'll end it here though. Thanks you guys for watching. I uh, appreciate everything. I'll see you guys next time. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.